Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 66th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in Northwest Central London, just off Historic Abbey Road. And yes, 66 is not quite 666, but that would have been appropriate for last week's show. Last week's show was on Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast as it turned 40 here in the month of March 2022. And so to bookend that story... For the 66th show, we're going to do Fear of the Dark, the 1992 effort by Iron Maiden. It's kind of a bookend on the original tenure of Bruce Dickinson as the lead singer of Iron Maiden. He came in in 1982, replacing Paul Diano after the first two Iron Maiden records, Iron Maiden and Killers. Really up their game. Number of the Beast is considered a classic heavy metal staple, top five, top ten of all time. And had a lot of classic hits on there. And we hope that you go back and check out that show if you haven't already. Fear of the Dark is different. This comes after Bruce had been in the band for a decade. And they really did work pretty hard. And what did they make? About eight albums during that time? Let's see, we had Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, No Prayer for the Dying, and then I guess this is the seventh was Fear the Dark, not to mention the classic Live After Death from the Power Slave Tour. So they've been working hard, and Bruce Dickinson had made a solo album, Tattooed Millionaire, in 1990. Adrian Smith had left, Yannick Gers replaced him as the second lead guitarist on No Prayer for the Dying. And now on Fear the Dark, Yannick was writing some songs But it seems like maybe the Maidens had kind of gotten to the end of their rope here a little bit. Like maybe Bruce was ready to move on and not be an Iron Maiden. He did leave after this album, and he had already kind of decided to do so during the tour. So some of the tour wasn't as good as it could have been. You feel like maybe they didn't have all their best ideas anymore. They weren't firing on all cylinders anymore. Maybe. And after the decade that they just had with all the work, all the records, all the touring, Maybe they were sick of each other. Maybe they needed to take a little bit of a break and step back for a little bit. So I thought it would be interesting. Both of these records, Number of the Beast and Fear of the Dark, having big anniversaries with 40th for Number of the Beast, the 30th anniversary of Fear of the Dark, where they're doing videos. They're trying a power ballad, which is not really their thing. They're trying some sing-along choruses, which maybe is great if the audience does it, but it's not really built for Iron Maiden. So we may not love this one, but there are some really key Iron Maiden moments. Of course, the title track, Fear the Dark, made very famous by their show in Rock in Rio. 
And the video and single that came from that really shows the power that they still had to have those long runners, those proggy metal epic songs that make Iron Maiden who they are. Now, on to a little bit of business here. We want you to tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf and at ActionJack72. Let us know which albums, bands, concerts, DVDs, and books you want us to review. And, of course, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. Good Pods has been very good to us. It's a great place to interact with independent podcasters. But anywhere you get Apple, Amazon, YouTube, Google Play, anywhere you get it, please leave us a good review if you're enjoying the show. And if you point it out to us, we see it. Hey, maybe we'll read it on the show. It just helps us find more listeners like you and keep us rock and rolling. We've got a lot of exciting plans for the near future here that we can't wait to share with you. But for now, let's dig into 1992's Fear the Dark by Iron Maiden here on The Wolf. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fear of the Dark, 1992, Iron Maiden. We're living together in college. We had just kind of gotten into Iron Maiden during our freshman year a little bit, right? This comes out at the end of our freshman year. Yeah. But we didn't get that into it. It was like we just started to get into the old classic stuff, and it was as if we weren't ready for new Maiden yet is kind of the way I'm recalling it. Yeah, I think you're right. And the other problem, too, was we were right smack in the middle of grunge. Right. And Iron Maiden was not that. So, yeah, we, we were we were working our way through the catalog at that point in time. Yeah, also, I mean, everyone says the world changed as soon as grunge came out. And it may have for record companies. 
But the fact of the matter is, in that 1991-92 corridor, a lot of big-time classic rock came out, too, right? I mean, U2 was touring all over Octung Baby, and it was all over the charts. Guns N' Roses had Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, and they were huge. They were the biggest band in the world. Metallica had the Black Album, and they kind of usurped Guns N' Roses as the biggest band in the world. Plus, Def Leppard came back after five years in the death of Steve Clark. Plus, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers came back after Tom Petty did the Full Moon Fever. Plus, Kiss came back with their best album in decades in Revenge, you know. Plus, Dire Straits came back with their last album ever, you know, after five or six years since uh, Brothers in Arms. So, while, yeah, the world was shifting a little bit for people like us who love classic rock, there was still a lot of great classic stuff coming out, right? Rush, Roll the Bones was huge to us. Keith's, uh, Keith Richards' second solo album, Main Offender, came out, and we listened to that nonstop, right? So while the world was shifting, and we've always been, I'd say we always kind of skewed a little older in our musical tastes anyway, so when the new stuff is happening, not only would we maybe not pick up on it right away, but we would almost have disdain for it. It's like, well, if, if people our own age who don't understand the values of the 70s stones and, you know, they made new kids on the block possible. You know, who cares what they like now, right? It's tough for a band like this because, again, the, the world was shifting. And I don't think that they wanted to bring Maiden with them at that point in time. And you're right. Kiss came out with a big record, but that was before they put the makeup back on. So that right. was kind of a weird in-between. Like, it was a great record, but did people really embrace it? Nah, no. Yeah, we were getting into the catalog. We, I didn't really pay that much attention to this record when it came out, but I think I may have been wrong. Well, I understand that, yeah. And then, you know, and then uh, our buddy Mike came into our lives, and he was way into Iron Maiden and could play yeah. guitar and all that. And he was always tape. But Mike's one of those guys who thinks, you know, everything they've ever done is awesome, you know, like they've never had a bad song. So you have to take some of what he says with a grain of salt. You know, he thinks every song Kiss has ever done is, you know, fantastic. Like, really? Have you heard stuff like You Make Me Rock Hard? You know, it's. <laughs> Uh, all night. Yeah, it's it's like for the guy who like dropped out of the worst high school in the district, not because he had to take care of his mom or something like that, but because his academic career wasn't going anywhere. And now he's like on the bus and he's talking to some old lady who's trying to ignore him. He's like, you know that song by Kiss, You Make Me Rock Hard? Do you get it? Because he's talking about rocking and rolling really hard, but he's also talking about getting his dick hard. Do you get it now? You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not they're not all winners. They can't all be. And then once he was trying he was like educating me on some Iron Maiden stuff, even when I saw the album cover, which to me now is better than the way I remember it, but at the time, it was like, this is not classic Eddie, right? This right. is not Derek Riggs. You know, this is somebody else. Who, his name happens to be Melvin Grant. His name happened yes. to be Melvin Grant. And he's done a few Iron Maiden covers over the years. He, I think he's the second biggest contributor of Iron Maiden covers behind Derek Riggs. Mm. But it's like, it's not the same. You know, it doesn't look the same. At first, I thought that kind of sucked. Now I look at it like, well, it's actually kind of cool. It's like a Nosferatu tree being right. Eddie, you know, kind of a cool thing. What do they call it? A dryad or dryad, something like that. It's, it's a mythical creature. But it didn't, it didn't follow. And it's weird that 
the artwork might determine whether or not you listen to an album. Only for someone like Iron Maiden would that make sense. But, I mean, I got to tell you, I don't listen to Dance of Death at all because that album cover is horrible. Huh. Okay. No, I can see that. And you're right. It was different. It didn't follow along with the classic, you know, Eddie formula. Right. And I think, yeah, I, I may, yeah, maybe that was a turnoff at the time. Like, ah, yeah, forget it. Next. It can, this can't be any good because it's new. They're, I mean, yeah, these guys were big, what, like 10, five, you know, seven or eight years ago. Right. But now, eh, yeah, we'll just put that on the pile. But yeah, looking at it now, it's it's pretty good. Like it, it doesn't, it's kind of the, I know they wanted to change to more like the nineties, less cartoonish. And I think Riggs had at least one idea that he submitted and they, they didn't like it. It wasn't like they said, right. they told him no, they, mm-hmm. they, they were just like, no, we're going in a different direction. So I can imagine that was a, that may have been a turnoff for especially big time fans because you were used to a package right. that all went together. So yeah, I don't know. And, and the fact too, that well, now they were making, they're starting to make videos. So, you know, have you sold out? Are you an MT trying to be an MTV band now? Or what are you doing? Well, and, and the world was shifting, right? So, you know, Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son are two albums that we love. And there's a lot of big classic heavy metal, also very proggy, if you listen to those, right? So then comes No Prayer for the Dying. Adrian Smith has left. Yannick Gers, who was with Bruce Dickinson on his solo record, Tattooed Millionaire, he steps in. And they wanted to do something a little more stripped down, not so operatic or, or proggy. They use the Rolling Stones mobile recording studio, which has made, you know, Led Zeppelin 4, Who's Next, some of the most amazing records and a lot that we've reviewed on this show. But for whatever reason, that sound just didn't work for them. It, it just didn't turn out good. And No Prayer for the Dying is one of the most maligned Iron Maiden albums in the catalog. So then once again, they're like, okay, let's change it. Steve created a studio that was in the barn on his property, which I guess the mobile recording studio was parked next to when they were recording No Player for the Dying. Uh, so he went ahead and built out a whole studio that they could use to make this record. But again, there's there's just turmoil going on in the band. Bruce is kind of dissatisfied. He's ready to move on. Yannick is getting some songwriting in. I mean, I think he co-writes five songs on the record, some with Bruce, some with Steve Harris. But he... He doesn't have what Adrian had. Now, he's a good player. There's no doubt about it. But when you change that lead guitar, even though there's two of them, it changes your sound. Plus, now there's this shift going on. First of all, Metallica has taken over the world, and it's a lot less proggy, high-in-the-sky Iron Maiden, even though they loved Iron Maiden. It's more heavy, thrashy. Even Judas Priest, who Iron Maiden had toured support, and, you know, were, were kind of a lot alike in part of the 80s, they had come out with Painkiller in the 90s, which is a real thrash. I mean, it's their return to form, one of their best albums ever. So they're like, no, we got to do something a little more different here. And I don't know, although I believe it's an improvement over No Prayer for the Dying, still isn't quite right. There's still something missing the mark on a lot of these. Huh. Interesting. I didn't really, I didn't really pay this uh, this one much attention when it came out. Right. But listening to it now, it's yeah, it's it's different. It's dark. I think it's got some pretty good tracks on it. And just so I remember getting well, getting a copy of this, and I can't remember who had it, but somebody did that I knew. And just looking at it, I knew it was different. Mm-hmm. You open it up, everybody's wearing black. Okay, cool. Like they're leathered out. Bruce has got a really cool like leather outfit that he's got on, mm-hmm. like like yeah, like rocker leather pants. 
biker jacket. Nobody's wearing like t-shirts or not, well, not t-shirts, but like just t-shirts. It looks like it's cold. It looks like, you know, this is kind of a, we're kind of making more of a rock album, not the proggy stuff that they did before. The space lizard pants are gone. And the pirate shirt is gone too. Pirate shirt is gone. Yeah. That's, that was an improvement. Yeah. So I think they, they were trying to do that. I, I, you're right. I didn't like the Eddie at the beginning. Now it's, it fits really well. Yeah. For seeing what they did later on. Yeah. What it, What is this thing coming to life at night? Is this, yeah. Is this some kind of like, this is going to get you. Right. This is going to attack you in the woods, probably kill you. And it's the only, it, and I went back and looked, it's the only record where the, where the logo is up and down instead of across the top. Ah, that's interesting. So it's just, and it's just, it's just off a bit. It's just, I don't know what we're doing on this one, but it is, I, I like it. I like the, I like it a lot more now than I did when it first came out. Yeah, I agree with you there. And what it's, what it's kind of bookended by, right? No Prayer for the Dying, which was not their best time of turmoil. They're taking on a new guitar player and Bruce may have used some of his best stuff on his solo album, so he comes with less stuff. And then afterwards, the first one with Blaze Bailey, which was... The X Factor. The X Factor, because X10, yeah, and then Virtual 11 was the uh, was the one after that. Some of the stuff they did with Blaze was good. It's just that his voice isn't Bruce Dickinson's. Yes, Bruce Dickinson replaced somebody in Paul Diano, but it, the upgrade was fantastic. So then changing to Blaze is a different, it's a gear shifter, and it's not exactly what the fans wanted anymore. So this this kind of stands on a peak because it's between a couple of low spots for the band is right. the way I look at it. Right. And and you didn't know at this point in time, but this was, yeah, this was going to be the last one for Bruce for eight years until he came back. So I think you're right. This was a, even though the band hadn't broken up yet, they did a big tour after this. I think they did Donington that year, but yeah, he was on the way out. Things were shifting. This This record is, if you just look at the tracks on this thing, this is rough. I mean, mm-hmm. there's everything is about fear. I mean, even though the the title is Fear of the Dark, you've got fear just runs through the entire deal. I kind of forgot what was happening then, but I mean, this was like the the Gulf War was going on right. and there was a lot of turmoil in the world and I think they 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 tried to reflect it in this record. Yeah, and you know, re- regime shifts in the US and in the UK, uh, getting away from the Reagan Bush era into the Clinton years getting away from Thatcherism in the UK, changing that up a little bit. But then you know, also the threat of AIDS and things like that pops up in here. And, and I can remember vividly our freshman year that on a, I think it was a Thursday in October, it came out that Freddie Mercury had AIDS. And on the yeah. Friday, he died from AIDS. And then a month later, or maybe not even that long, Magic Johnson came out as HIV positive. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's so there's fear there, fear in the changing and the unknown. So there's there's war, there's changing politics, uh, which, you know, used to be a little more civilized than they are these days, it seems. But we'll, we'll touch on that stuff here. And yeah, and the fear of you know a nasty disease that can kill people just because they had sex or they went to the blood bank to get a transfusion or, or whatever. The, but yeah, but, and then plus there's grunge. Plus, you know, heavy metal has got a makeover. It's not just the Bon Joey's and Motley Crue's with the sprayed up hair and the pretty clothes. Now it's like Metallica owns the scene. They play, they wear black. The hair just falls over their head. You know, it's hard, thrashy. 
it's not it's not necessarily all that melodic all the time. It's tuned down like Sabbath a little bit, you know. So, and then grunge comes in, which is uh, still don't like grunge. I mean, I still don't like it, you know. You haven't been sold on it yet. No, I mean, you know, life didn't suck all the time for me, right? So I, <laughs> I understand. I mean, I get it. You know, there's some people who don't want to be happy. Uh, you know, they don't aspire to be. I mean, would you aspire to be Billy Corgan? You know, like a, a bald guy whining into the microphone? Or would you aspire to be John Bon Jovi? I would aspire to the latter, but that's me. And I, and I know, and I know this is, we're off on a tangent now, but I know that's, that's one of the things that, that, I think both of us had a problem with back then. It's, you know, you, you want your rock stars to be, you know what? I live in a giant house with right. 57 cars and chicks everywhere. And it's a party 24 hours a day. And then it turns into, oh, I don't like my life. Yeah. It's terrible. Daddy and, doesn't no. understand me. Yeah. Stop that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, of course, daddy doesn't understand you. Kurt Cobain, you smell bad. You have bad interpersonal skills. You know, people shouldn't worship you. You're an anti-hero because no one should want to be like you. They're like you by accident. You know, right. <laughs> they, they can't help it, you know, but yeah. there are a lot of people like that. So, okay. But I, I do admire the maiden for, they just, they forge ahead. They just kind of forge ahead and there's ups and downs. But they forge ahead, and and Rod Smallwood's like, we got to take him into the into the '90s. So it's okay if we don't use Derek Riggs. It's okay if Eddie looks a little bit different. We need to freshen it up. You know, it's okay if some of these songs start to sound a little bit different because we got to evolve. We got to change. We can't just do Peace of Mind Two or Seventh Son Two. Maybe that would be Eighth Son of the Eighth Son. I don't know. But you know, they they press forward. What's interesting to me about this record is, although I think it sold fine around the world because there's so many big Iron Maiden fans out there, the singles didn't seem to do a whole lot of damage, and they never really played them after that tour. None of the singles. Only a couple of songs survived the set list, Fear the Dark being the number one one. But then I think Afraid to Shoot Strangers did, you know, was in in the set list for years. I think Blaze liked to sing that song a little bit. But of the 12 songs in this album, really the only one that anyone ever listens to is Fear the Dark. Wasn't a single because it's over seven minutes long. But all the singles have just been kind of discarded by the band. Yeah, and which I think is... But that's how they, that's how they roll, though, too. I mean, they're, they're not... They never were a singles band. They're going to play what they want to play. That is kind of funny, though, that they did put out three singles from this record. And the one that they end up playing is the seven-and-a-half-minute opus from the end of this thing. Right. But, I mean, that's they've always just done things their own way. And I think that's what made, that's why they're still around today. I mean, you could, you could get a list of everybody that was big in 1992, and I, you wouldn't remember half of them, probably maybe more than half. Yeah. But they were huge, and they were going to take over the world, and they just didn't. Yeah, or now they're all dead, you know. Could like, be. you know, Could be. You know, that, that, that puts a... And, you know, look, Iron Maiden never had single success in America, but in the UK and Europe, yes. I mean, they had big singles. And a lot of those are the hits, like from Peace of Mind, Number of the Beast, Power Slave, that we like. I mean, a hit is a hit whether it goes up the charts or not. A good song is a good song no matter what. And because U.S. radio never really understood them or their A&R people didn't push them the right way, for whatever reason, Iron Maiden never went up the singles charts in the U.S. Different in the U.K., Different in, you know, countries around the world. 
But that said, the three songs that they chose to make videos for, a couple of which had a budget, decent budget on, they don't they don't care about those anymore, it would seem. Right. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. You want to start with the beginning here? Yeah. So I got this, I guess it must have been the 98 reissues. Okay. So I had gotten a job, my first like real job in about 2000. Okay. So we're going to go to lunch. Who wants to drive? Oh, I'll drive. That's fine. So we get in and people I work with, they're probably a good 10, maybe 15 years older than I am. And I have, for whatever reason, I just had this disc in the disc player. Okay. Yes, folks, that had a disc player in the car. I was that fancy. And so I was like, hmm, interesting. So it just comes on and be quick or be dead. And I just kind of turn it up, you know, mm-hmm. and so Bruce starts screaming. You know, at the beginning, he's got the, and I could hear one of the guys in the back just say, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, ha, 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 ha. And I, I didn't make him listen to the whole thing, but I just think it was funny that it was like that, oh, what is this horrible thing? It's it's not a bad way to start the record. It's pretty frantic. Mm-hmm. I, it's not their best song, but it's if you want to start a record, you could do a lot worse than this one. You're, you're right about that. Yeah. I mean, frantic is a good way to put the, the kind of fast pace, get up, get up, gallop, and get ready to go. That yeah. opening whale at the beginning is very yeah. Rob Halford. Okay. It's, okay. Yeah. It's very, I mean, it sounds like something I've heard him do on record several times, you know? So he's like, are there, we're out there kicking it the, the same way that Priest kicked it up a notch on Painkiller. We're kicking it up a notch here, right? Yeah. I get why they chose it as a single because of that frantic fast pace, because of the screaming. And, you know, it's when he's talking about voting for what you want to hear in the song, it was prescient at the time. It's more prescient 30 years later. Just like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, you're going to tell me uh, abortion's bad, then I'm going to vote for you because that's what I think. You know, it doesn't matter about the 50 other things on the ballot that you need to decide, just whatever. And it's talking about greed, which is always an overarching thing in a lot of the theme and a lot of their songs and everything. The video is a little stripped down, right? It, it's not it's not on a sound stage, it's just like out on a wharf or something like that. They cut around, you know, quick cuts and all that kind of stuff. There's a little bit of an actor doing some businessman type stuff. It, it's not my favorite, you're right, but it is a good way to start the album. And I get why they picked it as the opening uh, single. Yeah, if you've got uh, any kind of motion sickness, proclivity, mm-hmm. don't watch this video because it's, yeah, it's it's just, like you said, quick cuts back and forth. You know, he's running, they're, they're cutting away from things. They were trying to be very artistic here. Right, right. And it was backed, I mean, the B-sides on some of them had uh, a nice cover of Space Station Number 5 from Montrose when uh, when Hammy Hagar was in the band. Of course, Iron Maiden's been great at putting out a lot of B-sides, whether they be covers or, or live versions of their old stuff or that kind of thing. And you say, hey, look, you know, they're not a, uh, they're not a singles band, and it didn't chart in America, but number two in the UK, number three in Norway, top 20 Sweden, Switzerland... New Zealand, you know, top 10 in Ireland, second in Finland, third in Germany. I mean, they, a lot, a lot of people were excited about it, right? A lot of people hear, oh, Iron Maiden's got a new single. Let's hear it. Let's get it. And at first, you're like, oh, yeah, fast paced. That's it. I just think after the first couple listens, you're like, yeah, maybe it's not their best. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think that it, it, especially when you're going to put together a live show, 
with all of the catalog stuff that they have, there's just no place for this one. Got to agree with you there. Yeah, for sure. So that one, but you know, all right, so not your favorite, but a good opener. Straight in for, to From Here to Eternity. I remember this one vividly. Didn't love it then. Don't, don't love it now. All right. I, I, was, I could have sworn, I, I couldn't find any proof for this, but I could have sworn that at one point in time, Steve Harris said something about this being a goof. Like, hey, I can write a, you know, all you ever do is write these, you know, seven and a half minute epic deals. I can write a song that can go on the radio. And this was, this was his attempt to do it. It doesn't sound like an Iron Maiden song. It sounds like something that they they had done like i said like a goo for something it's it's a it's a little bit catchy you know it's got a pretty good chorus to it but it's just not a maiden song well and it's got a lot of kind of double entendre in it right because you're talking about right. you know apparently it's it's the last story of charlotte the harlot right which you know starlet right. charlotte harlot went to 22 Acacia avenue you know and now you know this kind of wraps it up a little bit which I think is a little weird just because that was, I believe, Adrian Smith's writing line uh, through there. But yeah, you talk about, you know, riding on something. Oh, it's about a girl on the motorcycle. Well, maybe it's about riding a motorcycle. Maybe uh-huh. it's something else. I don't know. The, when they all sing Hell Ain't a Bad yeah. Place and the chorus, the, the chorus is not that cool. They're, they're not Def Leppard. They don't do, you know, <laughs> harmonies, man. You know, just let Bruce <laughs> sing. That's, that's not. Now, the video was was higher budget you know they're, they're playing in kind of like a an apocalyptic part of hell or something like that they've got this gorgeous stripper kind of girl you know yes. going down the aisle with somebody and so the video i think tells the story well and that's cool yannick yannick is a spaz um i mean he's obviously a talented player but it just seems like hopping around and being silly is more important than playing the notes Sometimes now I like the guy when he pointed to me and Rob at the Shades oh. nightclub when they were with Blaze Bailey. I still count that as as one of my favorite maiden moments of all time, and and obviously he's been a great contributor to the band over the last three plus decades. But it's kind of like can you just play something that kicks ass and stands still, or do you have to be jumping around and swinging your guitar around all day? It's like the other guys play and they also throw shapes and mime things out. Whereas he's miming, and then he's also kind of playing the guitar, in my opinion. He's got his leg up on the amps, and yeah, the, it's looking the thing around and playing, where he puts his hand, he reverses it. Right. Yeah, it's... It's a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's for the show, yes. Yeah, and, he's, and in, that, in that video, I mean, he's just flying all over the place. And I'm like, I understand you're not really plugged in right there, and you're just <laughs> miming, as they say, to, to the music. So you're, you're, you're creating something that's visually cool, but whatever. And, and the thing is, when they're on stage now, and it's the three of them, every single song for the first 20 years of their career were two guitar songs. So the third, song, uh, uh, the third guitarist is kind of superfluous. So then you can just do silly things, or you can hop around and just kick in a note here and there. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But that's just my take on it. You know, whereas Adrian and Dave, to me, are, are consummate pros, Yannick's a little bit of a clown. Just, just, just my opinion. Just my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think he does add something to the band, but yeah, it, it is kind of disconcerting when you're when you're doing all that kind of stuff on the side of the stage. Although he did, uh, he's got a couple of writing credits on here, so I really wonder how the dynamic changed with Adrian being gone. Because I mean, he he wrote some pretty heavy hitters for the band, and Absolutely. now it's kind of like okay, you know, what, I, I guess my question it would be, and I I 
would have to go back and look at the the records since Adrian came back. Would he have gotten this many writing credits if Adrian was still there? Yeah, good question. Yeah, no, I mean, five of the twelve songs are co-writes, including the right. first single, "Be Quick or Be Dead." He wrote with Bruce, right? So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. But let's move on. He didn't write from here to eternity. Uh, that was Steve Harris on his own. As was the third track, "Afraid to Shoot Strangers." This, to me, is a little bit more classic Maiden. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, yeah. Now, now we're getting into this here because it's it starts off kind of like you know, like if you if you didn't know who it was. And you put it on, you would hear that that kind of ethereal intro, and you're like, this is Maiden song. Mm-hmm. You know, it just has that signature to it at the beginning. So now, that's the, to me, this is kind of where the album really starts. That's a good way to look at it. The first two are the singles. They're brief. They're like three-and-a-half-minute songs. This is getting towards being a seven-minute song. It's like, okay, yeah, this is yeah. Iron Maiden. It's more epic. We're talking about war. He, you got Steve's big melodic bass line with a little guitar, you know, at the opening. Like, yep, that, that's yep. Maiden for sure. Bruce comes in low and he's melodic until the change. Is there a little, you know, because eventually you pick up the pace a little yep. bit. Is there a little synth in there? Whether it's guitar synth or keyboard synth? It could, yeah, it could be sneaking in there. Before, I, think, I think it's interesting too because the lyrics are only in the front half of the song. Mm-hmm. Once you get into the solo, everything else is just the chorus, which they don't really, I don't remember them doing that on too many other songs. But yeah, there could be some synth in there. Yeah, I mean, before it gets into the classic runner and then there's the yeah. solo and they double each other and Bruce is back with a vengeance at the end. His voice is powerful, you know. It's a good one. It's it, it's a good one. And I, I understand why they, they played this a little bit more and, and like I said, Blaze apparently liked it. They, they played it during those years he was in the band. So, And again, I understand why it wouldn't be a single. If it's almost seven minutes long, they're not going to play that on the radio. So uh, I get it. But this is, this is kind of a highlight. It's one of the two that kind of survived in the live set past the Fear of the Dark tour. And I like it too because it's, it's one of those things where, wait, what do you mean? Afraid to shoot strangers? What are you talking about? That's, and then you listen to it. Oh, it's about somebody having to go to war and, you know, they, they know this is going to be just an absolute mess. I don't want to do this. This is horrendous. But again, the, the world was at war at this point in time. And we as Americans, we're just so insulated from right. the rest of the world. It, it's really, I think, a lot more terrifying to live over in the UK because you've got all, you're so much closer to everything else. Yeah, and you know, here we are on the precipice of war in the Ukraine, and it's it's not exactly our backyard, but it's not that far away, whereas in the US, it couldn't be much right. further away. But yeah, it's it's a little nerve-wracking, and, and to know that that's Europe. I mean, we're in Europe, and that's Europe, you know, so that, that's that's got a lot of people nervous uh, around here, as it should. But yeah, back home, it's like, well, who won the dunk contest last night? You know? <laughs> Next tune, Fear's the Key. And here you're right again, Jackson. Fear is pervasive throughout. Yeah, just the, the whole the whole thing. And this is one of those ones where you kind of listen to it the first time and you don't really get what he's talking about. And then they move into, oh, wait a minute. This is about, you know, no one cares until somebody famous dies. Wait, hold on. Wait, what are we talking about here? Oh, this is about AIDS. Mm-hmm. And this is about... I mean, and again, we were we were kind of too young to have lived through, I guess, the golden age of hooking up with people where it was, you know, pretty much consequence free. Now, not so much. So, yeah, it's this it's this fear again of, you know, can I meet this person 
can we get together and possibly die very quickly from a horrible disease that is is you couldn't you couldn't tell that they had it right well that's right yeah, that's exactly right now there's kind of that golden age between the, the dawn of birth control and then the advent of AIDS uh, right. where you know the worst thing that happened to you you get a penicillin shot you know the next day right and yeah but no and and they're right you know it's it's like well you know uh, AIDS is a problem. Oh, really? Who gets it? Well, the most people who get it are drug addicts and homosexuals. Well, to the vast majority of conservative America, that's not going to show up as a light on their screen, you know. But right. then as soon as somebody like Arthur Ashe dies from it, you know, because he needed a blood transfusion or Freddie Mercury dies from it because he's this huge star. Now it's going, oh, OK, well, now it's serious. Magic Johnson's HIV positive. Oh, God, we got to take this seriously, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so they're right about that. So it's an important song in that it's addressing that. However, the music itself, it's very power chord kind of generic to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you may be talking about good heavy material and, and Freddie Mercury may have been an inspiration for it. But, you know, there's an odd guitar sequence before like the bridge, before the change and there's a lot of feedback in this, like, I don't know, five or six seconds. It's odd. Then you have the time change, and it's not a great solo. Day you die, you fade. I, I just feel like it's it's poorly executed. It's a great idea for a song. It's an important message, but sonically, it's not that good to me. Yeah, okay. I can see why you would say that. I, I thought that I've got, you know, my notes here are... You know the solos are good, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a little yeah, it's not the best thing it's, on the it's record. It's a little messy. There's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's the, you know there's there's a little bit of a gallop. I think there's somebody strumming an acoustic guitar. Yeah, you're right. This is kind of a maybe a kind of little bit of a mess here. Yeah, you know that's that's right. I mean, I, I think what they intended to do was good, was noble. Uh, was yeah. timely and all that, but uh, but I just think the execution of the song it, it could have been better, and I you know obviously didn't didn't get a lot of airplay uh, or concert play uh, after 1992 or three. You know, and meanwhile, look, Bruce had kind of already decided he was going to leave the band, and but he was going to do the tour because the tour is booked, and well, it's your obligation to do the tour. Right. And I think Steve was pissed off about it because you know to Steve, Iron Maiden is the world, and he's put a lot into it, and he is Iron Maiden. And Bruce at the time was a little flippant about it. Like, you know, my son doesn't rise and set around which band I'm in because, you know, he's a polymath. He can do a thousand different things. So he's like, I can go do something else. But see, that's a little flippant because it is an important band and you play an important role. But Steve's like, you know, if we're doing a huge show like at a like at a festival or something like that, like a Donington or, you know, whatever it might be, right. then he's into it. He's up there. He's running around. He's charging the crowd and that kind of thing. But if we're going to a show, you know, maybe it's a smaller venue, like maybe only 8,000 people show up. It seems like Bruce kind of phones it in. And I, and, and I, and it, from all accounts, Steve was right about that. But then Bruce kind of fired back was like, well, should I be out there smiling the whole time because I'm about to leave the band? It's like, why is this guy so happy if he's leaving the band? What's going on? But then if he, you know, if you go out there and do a bad show, it's like, why did I pay my 20 bureaus or 20 quid to get into this? And I'm like, that's just a bad thing all the way around. When you leave, you need to just leave. You can't say, I'll leave after right. this. You, you know, if you've already made it up in your mind to leave, you got to go. So do you know why he left the band? Because I was trying to look and, and see if I could find anything concrete. I mean, he had already made a solo record right. and then come back to the band. So like, what else 
what were you, what else were you looking for? Cause usually that's like a, Oh, I want to go do something. You know, I want to express myself creatively in another way. Okay. Well then just go make another record. And then when you're ready, come on back and you know, we'll do it that way. I know that his solo record was, it was kind of more, it was, it was a hard rock record, but it was more poppy mm-hmm. than the maiden stuff. So I don't know why he decided at this point in time, you know what, I'm done with this whole thing, unless he was unless he was just tired of Harris at that point in time. Maybe, yeah, maybe there have been a fracture with Harris. Maybe he just wanted to get out of the big machine. Iron Maiden is yeah. a great big machine. I mean, and they've had the same, like, management and roadies, some of them for 40 years, management for 45 years, you know. I mean, they... They don't have a lot of turnover, but they have a lot of people to take care of. And Steve is always pushing forward new songs, new videos, new albums, new tours, new merch. And maybe, and he probably had a good time recording his solo albums. Like, all my ideas, I can still write with people if I want, but I don't have to deal with all these other egos. I don't have to go through this big Iron Maiden machine. Plus, then when I want to go get an additional pilot's license, I don't have to make sure it's within the confines of the band time frame. You know, and, um, he, he was a parent. He has got kids. You know, maybe he just wanted to get off the hamster wheel for a little while. Who knows? Uh, and he didn't mention it that much. He didn't really talk about it in, in his live show that we saw. I, I don't remember. I don't remember any part of that. And I was kind of, mm, you know, we got to, because he, he did it chronologically. Right. So I was like, okay, are we going to... Are we going to get any insight to that? But no, nah, he didn't mention that at all. No, he didn't. I don't know. I mean, if I go back here, let's see here. He's he's written one, two, three, four, five songs on the record. Three of them were co-writes with Yannick. Two of them were co-writes with Dave Murray. No co-writes with Steve Harris. So maybe that's the answer to your question. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right, boy, uh, moving on to song number five, Childhood's End. I don't know, I, I like this more than the last one. I mean, it's, it's more promising than a lot of the previous ones, and it's a little bit more classic Maiden. But, I mean, you know, it's still no hope, no life, just pain and fear, no food, no love, just greed is here. Kind of that overarching themes of the machine crushing the individual, right? Yeah, it, it's got a, it's got an interesting drum beat at the beginning. It kind of sounds almost like uh, a little bit like Force 10. At the beginning, interesting. No, nothing that I'd ever heard Nico play before. It, it's a nice change of pace to start this one off. But yeah, once they get going on this one, it's just crushing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the I get you know you're talking about maybe like third world situations or something where it's just yeah it's just all right i know it's bad out there <laughs> stop i can't take it anymore i know and childhood's end well you know for some yeah. people childhood's end you know can come very early if you're in a pretty desperate situation right, right? so right I, the, the other thing i kind of like about this too is that there's no they only use that line at the end and the outro it's not the chorus or anything out and they just yeah they just kind of like stamp that and then walk off after the song's done right Exactly. Then we get into Wasting Love. Mm-hmm. The third and final single off the record. I don't know, would you call it a power ballad? I think it's their attempt at a power ballad. It's, it's as close as Maiden is ever going to get to a power ballad. That's right. That's fair enough. Right. And, and, yeah. and look, and for, you know, for bands, you know, which some people call hair bands now from like that late 80s period, especially, oh. and into the early 90s, Queensryche had some great records before they released Silent Lucidity. But as soon as they released that, oh, that goes up the charts. And now suddenly Empire and Jet City Woman can get on the radio, right? Right. And L.A. Guns, what had the Ballad of Jane. They were never on the charts. They do Ballad of Jane. Boom, they're all over. You know, so many 
of of hard rock bands did it. Maiden always ignored that because they didn't have to. So it's like, is that what they were trying to do? It, it, it's not sweet. It's not acoustic. It, it's it's still very Maiden. But I don't. You want to hear ACDC do a ballad? No. <laughs> No. What I like about this is that Bruce is not singing in his normal, like, you know, yelling operatic. So it's 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 kind of a nice change of pace to hear him sing a different way. Mm-hmm. The drums, I don't know whether they had to like tie Nico like one hand behind his back or something. Maybe. It's real in the pocket. Yeah. It's there's really not a whole lot that he's doing. It's not a bad drum part, it's just not what he normally plays. I thought the solo on this one was pretty good. I think, and there's only one, right. I think. I don't think Dave has a solo on this one, but it's not, because usually they do the, you know, they do the back and forth. They trade, you know, yeah. Somebody takes A and then somebody takes B and then a lot of times they'll play a little bit at the end. There was just one. So I, I don't love this song, but I like it that it was a it was a change of pace. Well, and Yannick did write this one with Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. So... He, he got the solo, you know, and I thought his solo was a little odd. I remember, I remember it being horrible. I'm like, this song sucks. Back in like 92, 93 or whenever I first yeah. heard it, I'm like, this is horrible. It's better than I remember. It, it, it's a better song than I gave it credit for back in the day, but it's still not great. And, uh, you know, a little spare ringing guitar, and then eventually they do some power chords and then the video is about a guy it's basically about a player who had a bunch of lovers over his life and then he's getting all their names tattooed all over him and then by the end he's covered in all these women's names and i'm like so so what's the story did he get aids did he die alone because no one wanted to be with this player there was a priest in there like damning him uh, so did he go to hell because he was good at picking up chicks? I, mean, I don't. I don't know if I get the story or not. <laughs> I wonder if this was if this was done by another band. Uh, I don't know. Pick somebody. You never Tesla. heard of them Let's before. Let's say Tesla did it. <laughs> yeah. This this would this may have been a hit for somebody else. It, it was just nobody. It just didn't fit with Maiden. It did not fit with Maiden. And I I I. It is a better song than I gave it credit for back in the day. I'll say that. But okay, I still but still don't. not one that you would want to listen to. No, in their catalog, my God, there's so many better options. All right, let's let's move on. Now I think that was the end of LP one. See, technically, this was a double LP back in the day. Oh, okay. For us, LPs had been dead for a long time. We'd only this only ever existed on CD. But technically, right. it was a double LP back in the day, and then you you move on to the next song which is The Fugitive. There's a bit of an odd rhythm in the chorus bit. It's yeah. just a little odd, and the solos seem a little uninspired to me. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't it, love this one. The, the saving grace on this song is that it's, at least it gives you kind of a rest from getting pounded into the ground. It's kind of an old school maiden. It's a runner. Stranger. Strange land, you know, just it's kind of like it's a it's a fantasy story. You mm-hmm. know, I'm the fugitive, I'm on the run, I got to get away. Okay, you know, cops and robbers. We're taking a little break here. It almost doesn't seem like it fits on this record, to be honest, because the rest of it is just so straightforward. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what they were trying to do on this one. Well, yeah, and and again, I think I feel like there's a little synth on there somewhere. Whether it's sneaking back in there. Yeah, yeah. a little guitar synth or keyboard synth, I'm not sure. It it is a kind of a maiden runner. Yeah. uh, And the fugitive, that's kind of a very maiden title. Right. But again, I'm just like, this is not not their best effort on the record. All right. So let's just move on then. 
Okay. Chains of Misery. Again, great title for an Iron Maiden song. But the power chords, they don't sound like Iron Maiden to me. No. I I I really like this song more now that I've listened to it. I really wish they had somebody else in the band that could sing. They don't need Bruce on this one. Mm. This is more this almost sounds like this could work for this could have worked for Diano. Just a real kind of straight ahead. Yeah. Um, the lyrics are pretty terrible. But yeah. I love the chorus with the just it sounds like a room full of people just shouting, chains of misery. Okay. That's this it's it doesn't sound like a maiden song, but like it works. It's a nice change of pace. But like I said, it like Bruce he puts the Bruce, you know, you got your chains. You don't need that. This could have been somebody else. This could have been the Keith Richards track that they let you know someone else, else would sing. like you yeah. know oh, we're gonna let dave murray sing what dave murray yeah we'll <laughs> let him sing one you know something like that this would have been a nice change of pace for another vocalist in the band well see that's the thing i mean all right changing the lead vocal would be good but the whole chorus where everybody's shouting change up your i mean that could work for another band but um, for iron maiden no they don't do that that's not what it, they it, do and they don't need it, is, it yeah it is a weird when you listen to this you're like how did this even make it on the record this does not sound like them at all they there, there's a couple of things on here where they're and i don't know whether they were it was more they were trying to go a different direction like it's the 90s we're going to mix this up a little bit i know for uh, yeah i know no prayer for the dying just got destroyed right so are they trying to oh did they say wait whoa, okay that didn't work let's try something else now maybe maybe but look i mean look there is some really good guitar work on the song when yep. they slow it down for the bridge and then they come in with some really hot solos after it uh-huh. there's some good stuff about this song that i like i don't love that chorus it's not very maiden and they don't have sing-along choruses it could be worse this is yeah. not the worst song on the record, it, it, and they take a chance with some stuff that doesn't sound very Iron Maiden. So I give them, you know, I give them kudos. Hey, you're not just following a formula here; you're doing something a little different. Some of it's good, some of it not so much. Yeah, I think that's the. I think this is the only one that uh, Dave Murray gets writing credits on. No, on he also record. did Judas Be My Guide with Bruce. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, one of two then. It's just, it's just interesting when you've got somebody else thrown into the mix that you may maybe get a little bit of different sound. Right. You're right. Now, the only person who writes songs by themselves on this is is Steve Harris. You know, he right. has one, two, three, four solo writes, and then he has, what, one, two co-writes with Yannick Gers, Dickinson and Dave Murray. And it's a, it's a short one, right? So they're not extending this out. They're not putting us through a whole lot. They're, they're trying to condense it down and do some different stuff. You know, it, it could be worse. You get to you get to what I think is worse is the next song is the apparition right <laughs> some good some sick guitar work but but the trade from Dave to Yannick is a bit odd in spots it's a pretty forgettable song if you ask me I don't know well and the thing is too now you're in the track number nine on this thing so you've been we've been at this for a while now and yeah it does sound that's the that's the one thing that I don't like about some of these later Maiden records is. It's like, well, we've got to have two guitar solos, so okay, let's we're gonna put that in there. You know, I mean, it's great when it works, but it doesn't have to be in every song. And some of these things it just sounds a little forced. Like, you know, it was almost like one of them walked in the room and like, play a solo right now. Oh, okay, here you go. Wait, did that that kind of doesn't fit with the song, but I mean, it's good, but right. it doesn't fit in. And it just sounds, some of these sound a little forced to me. Exactly. And I think I hear some synths in there again, which, you know, I know they're, they're trying not to use, but they still are using it somehow. 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Kind of forgettable here. And look, you know, the album is 60 minutes long, which at the time was is very long for an album, right? So if they yeah. cut a few of these, and like, and these last few have not been like really long ones, right? Like the apparitions about four minutes, Chains of Misery is about three and a half. You, you start to cut some of these, make them into B-sides or something like that, and maybe it tightens the album up. I, I don't know. It's easy for me to say. The, the 10th song, Judas Be My Guide, I actually like cool opening i think it's an underrated one considering where it is on the album and it's only three minutes long i don't know they, they do some cool doubling on it what are your yeah. notes on it yeah I, I, I like this one it again you like i said in the last one you've been at this for a long time so it's kind of hard if you're listening to the entire record to really give everything a it's it's just dues it's easier at the beginning because you know you kind of got your you're ready to roll. But yeah, I think this one is good. It, it's a nice, it's definitely better than the apparition. And so it, it makes me, I guess my thing is it makes me nervous when you see these songs at the end of the record, when it's like, okay, were these throwaways or what are we doing here? But no, I, I like this one and we're going to get to the biggie there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, is better than the apparition kind of like better than Ezra? Yeah. Cause, cause uh, the band better than Ezra, like we're, re- they're rehearsing one day like, all right, come on, we're going to go to the state fair. We're going to see what's going on. They go to the state fair and there's a band on called Ezra. And it's like, these guys suck. We're better than Ezra. So when we write a song, should we call it better than the apparition? <laughs> Uh, no, I feel bad for those dudes. We got famous <laughs> by another band who told us that we suck. Yeah. Huh. Huh. All right, cool. But when he says Judas be my God, you know, it's kind of like everything is on is for sale. I mean, I think it's one of the better songs on their record. But is there any is there anything guided by Judas Priest? Because that I'm telling you, that opening whale at the start of the album is very Halford esque, and that's when they all went to black leather was on Painkiller. Except for Glenn, of course, who has to have a little bit of red, but he was right. he was then red and black, not just red, you know. So and now like you say now, Iron Maiden's all in black. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Well and, and they've they've had their careers were I, I don't want to say they were intertwined, but they were they ran parallel for so long. Right. I mean that all throughout the eighties and then into the nineties, yeah, the two big British metal bands were Maiden and Priest in the United States. I mean, right. I'm sure you get somebody in here and tell me, oh, well, so-and-so was big. Okay, I'm talking in the U.S. Those were the big two from England. Right, and they both lost their singers in the 90s. You know, they had right. to go out and get replacements. Then eventually they got them back. I mean, you know, it's it, there. yeah, there's some definite parallels. I mean, Priest was older. They, they were recording in the early 70s, whereas <clears throat> Maiden didn't get their first album out until 1980. But yeah, I mean, you're right. And they toured together, right? So it definitely intertwined. The, the second to last song on the record, Weekend Warrior. You know, So at first, I figured this is somebody who's like uh, in the Army Reserves or something like that. Uh-huh. That, that's what I believed back in the day. But it's it's about football hooliganism, which people in the United States really can't get a real flavor of, I don't think, until you really understand the way big-time football and even smaller-time football fandom and the ties to your city or the ties to your town or your village or your hamlet or whatever you want to call it the ties to your local club, how they feel bonded by this, and how they would go to war for their club. Yeah, I think we we consider ourselves diehard fans in the United States. Like, I love the, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, Pittsburgh Steelers or whatever, but not like that. Not like that. I mean, you won't, you may say, you know, whoever stinks and Pittsburgh is the best. 
you won't break a bottle over somebody's head. Right. <laughs> because they badmouth you. They will there. And yeah, guys who are like business people, not like, you know, the, you get, it gets rough real quick. Let me put it that way. It gets, uh, it gets nasty in a hurry. Yeah. Now maybe it's, you know, some of the premier league because they are in bigger markets and, uh, you know, some of those tickets are pretty expensive. Maybe not. But I mean, yeah, so, some people, they go to the game just so they can find people from the other team and fight them. Like that's the point of the game. Win or lose, yeah, you want them to win, but whether or not you won the fight is what really matters, you know? And it's like, ah, see, that's... Yeah, we just don't, we don't have that here. Yeah, well, and we shouldn't because you don't have any control over the game. I mean, like, Philadelphia Eagles fans are close. Like, you know, my buddy's got stories of he went into Philadelphia wearing like a Phil Sims of the Giants jersey and... People were spitting on him. Like he, he had loogies all over his back and he was basically run out of the building because he was wearing the other team's jersey. It, it's it's you know, it's because they don't have much in their lives and need something to feel a part of, right? But it's it's like you're on top of the world of the game, but then come Monday, you're back to being what? You know, a small cog in a big machine. Yeah. You know, your life's not that great. You know, it's a warning to change your ways before someone will die. And some of the guitar work at the end is kind of cool. It's, it's trying to recapture some old glory. But, yeah, I mean, what's the Daniel Radcliffe movie? I, I got to mention it Harry all Harry Potter. No, not that one, dude. I know I can... <laughs> is it Green Street? Yeah, I think it's Green Street. Or Green Street Hooligans. It's got... No, it's not... It's not... It's it's not Daniel Radcliffe. It's the other. It's Elijah Wood. So I, I confused Harry Potter with uh, Frodo Baggins. Yeah, no, it, it's so. I mean, he's like a kid with like a, a young guy with like a promising career in the in the media or whatever. You know, he's from the U.S. or whatever. So he comes over to England and he kind of falls in with these you know these hooligans who are out to fight and to cause trouble at every soccer event for their team you know so and it's also got what uh charlie hunnam they were both kind of younger in it but it's worth a good view uh, just to kind of see what it can really be like you know the lengths that they go to to defend and fight for this team a team who would publicly have nothing to do with them right it's like you're not part of the team you have no control you don't even necessarily have the money for tickets you know uh, you're just there to cause trouble really but that's that's the way it is, you know, and it kind of reminds me growing up in the state of Kentucky where UK basketball is king, right? Big blue, okay. they've won eight national titles and sure, UK alums are, are, are totally into UK basketball, but the biggest, most ardent UK fans didn't go to UK or to any college for that matter. And they just want something from their state, something they can be a part of to be great. You know, it has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to really do with the players on the team. It's just they want that jersey to do awesome, and they will scream and yell and fight for it. So that's that's my own personal take on that. Well, that's the, that's the way it is here. I mean, we're we're probably as far away from Atlanta as we are from Athens. Mm -hmm. Nobody has Atlanta Falcons anything or Braves or anything else, but everybody's got a Georgia sticker. And you're right. A lot of these people, they never went to – I mean, never went to college or never went there, but they just have this connection with, yeah, the home team, the home players. Nope. Just Yeah. I had a good friend who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but he grew up a Georgia football fan. And then he what? went to the University of Florida with me. And at the Florida-Georgia oh, game – he rooted for Georgia, and and they kicked our butts one day, and he was jumping up, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you go to the University of Florida. What's wrong with you? 
It's like, no, nope, Georgia football. To the other side. Yeah. yeah. Georgia football is life, and I love it. And, you know, I'm just at Florida for some degree, man. I don't care about the Gators, you know. So that's just the way it is for some people. That's all right. Hey, guys. This is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Well, we come to the end. And we've talked so many times on the show about the importance of wrapping up the album well. And sometimes it's like with a soft song that kind of lets you trail off and relax. Ah, I hope you enjoyed it. Here you go. Say goodbye. A lot of times it's an afterthought. They're like, nope, we're going to put our first song number one, our second best song number two. And by the time you get to number 10 or 12, it's just whatever we had left to fit on there. This is one of the best closing songs of an album. In Maiden's catalog, in most anyone's catalog, very rarely do you choose to put your very best song as the last song on the album. Toto's Africa off Toto 4 might be the only other example of that that I'm thinking of up the top of my head. Huh, that's a deep dive right there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you were, you've been crying this whole time about how, where's my Steve Harris epic? Right. Where is it? It's got to be here somewhere. It, I'm, I'll get to it. Yeah, here it is, baby. Last but certainly not least... And this is a, uh, they played this every tour, right? Since then. Just about. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and look, and after they did Rock and Rio, it was huge on Rock and Rio. That version is awesome. It's a little faster at the beginning on the record than the way they do it there. They, they kind of build it a little bit more in the Rock and Rio live. Kind of let it build up to a crescendo a little bit more and and yep. Bruce is way into it he's goading the crowd and they kind of have the the opening part where you got the harmonics and the bass and the little yeah. spare guitar and then he goes yeah and they boom and they break into the runner and the crowd's going crazy of course in South America they sing along the chorus oh, oh, oh. Oh, and you got to believe that gives them a charge, man. Besides just seeing hundreds of thousands of people out there, they're singing the melody to them. And then when they break into it and everybody's hopping around, it's bedlam, but it's beautiful. It's rock and roll at its very best. Yeah, it's interesting that now we're, what, 12 years into Iron Maiden? Yeah, recorded, recorded Iron Maiden, that's right. Yeah, and you can pull this out of your uh, out of the your mind. Still, you still have more things to write. Yeah, this is a this is a big one, and probably for me makes the whole record. Like if they like if this wasn't on this if this track wasn't on this record, or if it had been something else, I don't think I'd even remember this one. But this really cements the whole thing. I agree. I mean this this would not have gotten better than a C minus rating for me without Fear the Dark. Uh, yeah. This is almost no prayer for the dying too, uh, without this track, you know. Yeah, and it's rare that you save the title track for the last, but I understand that you might not want to start off with it. I understand why they started off with "Big Be Quick or Be Dead." It, it, it makes sense, but it's epic. And then the time changes, the time signature uh-huh. changes in it are so good. And and when Bruce is. You can see him, when it's time to just hop around, he just lifts his hand like he's lifting marionettes, and all the guitar players are jumping up and down, but everyone in the crowd is doing it too. It's so good. It's so much fun live, and I have seen them do it live. And if you don't feel it, you know, that feeling you get when you're with a crowd of people and they're playing something cool, any band, not just Ryan Maiden, but that kind of collective feeling you get like I'm in a 
place and time here, and we're doing something cool together. If you can't feel it during that song, then I can't help you. It's it's such a. I was thinking about that too. That the whole concept of and they paint a pretty good picture of the being afraid of the dark. Everybody is afraid of the dark. It's such a, at some point in time, you, I could put you in a situation where now you, like it, the lights are off at your house. Okay, fine. I'm not really that afraid, but you could be like the whole thing about how, you know, I'm walking alone and someone is following or something uh-huh. is following me or it's just that, like that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh. Yeah. You ever been in a parking lot later at night and you hear a can turn over and you look around, there's no one there. It's like, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or you're, yeah, you're, you're on a street maybe that you don't, you know, you're not super familiar with or something. Yeah. You just kind of get that feeling like, Ooh, something might be wrong. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what they captured there. And and then you go back to Eddie coming to life at night. Out of the tree, right? Yeah. The tree. The tree. Yeah. I walk alone in the woods. That's not a good idea. He's coming to get you. Yeah. No. And he starts it off on rock and Rio. A light in the black. Oh, just a fear of the dark. And that's him. Look, Bruce is an incredible showman. Uh, No one's better getting the crowd up and going than he is. Uh, And obviously, you're going to be motivated when you see hundreds of thousands of people out there. Uh, But when they're running on this, and this is a classic runner, when they're running on this, there's, there's not much better in their catalog, to be honest with you. And this is an amazing catalog off an album that is not amazing. It's it's good. I like it. It's better than the previous one. I like it better than right. the next one. But without, like you said, without this song, this album is is not special. And see, now I'm wondering if things had been different. If Bruce wasn't on his way out, would this have been? Would this have been different? Would it have been? I don't know. Maybe a little more. Energy and not energy. That's not the word I'm looking for. Maybe the vibe would have been a little different. I don't know. It just kind of seems like if you know the end is near, is it? Are you just kind of going through the motions? That's a fair question, and I can't tell you that I know the answer yeah. to that. You know, and they obviously, they, I'm sure they played this on that tour, right? That that last tour with Bruce before he came back seven years later with Adrian to start to create some of their best music. You know, over the last twenty now twenty two years that they were together. Yeah, I don't know. It's it break up, and the whole band didn't break up, obviously. But they definitely took a turn, man, because yeah. it was just a few years after this that, like I think we said on the last episode on Number of the Beast, Rob and I went to see them in a nightclub, the Shades Lounge nightclub in Jacksonville, Florida, where I the ticket for the show was like one of those raffle tickets you get at a Catholic raffle, you know. And we were not that far away from them. Uh, there was, you know, like a bar island between us, but we were not that far. We had incredible views of them. And I give them credit, as I said last time, a lot of bands would just say, that's it, I'm not going to tour America because we don't have it. And Steve Harris is like, no, we'll go play. That's what we do. We play live. Yeah. So it's not as big. So what? Let's get out there and build it back up. We got a new singer. Let's go out there and show them what we can do. You know, so and that was the first time I'd seen Iron Maiden too. So of course now I've seen them headlining and amphitheaters and arenas and and could go see them at big festivals and stuff like that. That was my first impression of them live. I'm like, God, that was that was awesome. You know, that they did that. And then they came and they really delivered, too. They didn't say, all right, well, we don't really want to be here. We want to be in a bigger place, so we'll do an okay show. No, they came out and killed it. And that's what—that's why they're still going today, because they never stop. They never quit. Well, and then it, it just shows you, too, when Bruce did come back, what was that, 2000? Mm-hmm. For, uh, 
Brave New World. Brave New World. I mean, that just, that exploded because that's what everybody was waiting for. That's right. And yeah, Bruce has his moments, you know. One of the times I saw Bruce, and it was in an amphitheater, it was a killer set, dude. It was Motorhead, then Ronnie James Dio, then Iron Maiden. Wow. And Bruce was in a bit of a mood because he's like, you know, Fuck American radio, fuck MTV, you know, because they don't give us any love over here. But he's also like, yeah, look, we got another guitar player in the band. So many people in the band now, you can't even keep track. I'm like, well, Bruce, there's one more guy than there usually is. Take it easy. But then also down front there, because, you know, sometimes at those places you get, you you or your company can buy season tickets. And then if nobody wants them, you can give them away or try to sell them or whatever. So there's some really nice seats down there that were empty. Because the people who want to see, I don't know, you pick it, Garth Brooks and Eric Clapton, they don't want to see Iron Maiden and they don't want right. their kids to go. So, like, they're sitting down there. It's like, I don't know who's supposed to be down here, but someone from the back, please come down here and take these good seats. Because you can see that, like, the uh, the yard, the lawn is filled with metalheads who maybe can only afford Twenty nine ninety five for a ticket, right? right. And, and these seats up front, which yeah, maybe they're a hundred bucks or more, or whatever. They're empty because the so and sos who have those season passes. Well, I don't go to Iron Maiden. You know, <laughs> that's beneath me. Those sit empty. So I mean, he he can get pissed off and he can be in a bit of a mood sometimes. He um, he he wants to play the big crowds. Well, I don't blame him. But sometimes the crowds aren't as big, and you got to still go out there and do your show. Who who does that? I think I think I want to say it's Billy Joel does that. Like you can't buy front row tickets to his show; they're not for sale, and for that reason. And then he goes and picks the guys with the worst seats in the house and brings them down in the front, just random, you know, lottery. Because yeah, it's the same thing. I don't want either nobody sitting there or some dude on his phone the whole time, right? Because he's not really. But he just went because yeah, because yeah, he's a rich yeah, jerk, you know. Yeah, like, uh, yeah uh, I can get a girl thirty years younger than me to go with her if I get a front right. row seat. So uh, come on, baby, let's yeah. go. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know any of the songs. So I, so did they did they bring people up? No, well security wouldn't let them because you can't just run down oh, okay. from the lawn down to the third row. <laughs> you just can't ah. do that. You know? I thought about doing it, but then I'm like, yeah, well, you know, my seats are actually pretty good. So I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. They could they could just kick me out for getting you know marginally better seats. I would rather just stay here and finish the show, kind of thing. But I went with my buddy Chip uh, to that show and a couple of his pals. Uh, Joe and Porter. Uh, we went to a, a few good heavy metal shows together. So shout out to those guys back home. But so overall, man, I mean, look, it, it's not my favorite Iron Maiden. It's not my least favorite Iron Maiden album. It's It kind of came at an odd time, odd time for the band, odd time for music. They are pushing forward. They're making some shifts. And out of it, they still did some good stuff. Not all of it's great, but for Fear of the Dark, the song alone, which they must have known was awesome because they named the record after it. Right. It's worth it. Right. And, and I think this was this was the last one for Martin Birch, right? That's right. He actually co-produced it with Steve Harris. So this is the first yeah. co-production or production for Steve. And I think he also co-produced with Kevin Caveman Shirley um, and, and did some stuff later. But yeah, Martin Birch who had an incredible run with Maiden and Deep Purple and, you know, some amazing bands. I think he worked with Fleetwood Mac back in the day. Yeah, he he retired after this, which is kind of too bad just because he did live another, I mean, he lived till 2020, I think. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, which is, you know, it, 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 that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, and, you know, he then he retired and passed away or something. Oh, yeah, what, like two years later? No, like a million years 30 later. 30 years later. It, yeah, it's odd that he he didn't, 
I mean, I guess he just kind of wanted to do other things, but it is, I wonder too, you know, what he could have done had he decided to come back for, you know, that would have been cool if he came back for like Brave New World or something like that. Right. That would have been huge. But But, I respect people for wanting to retire. I I get that piece of the equation, but it's not like he was 60 and he lived to be 90. I mean, I feel like he was in his 40s or something like that and he retired. Uh, But hey, if you can't, Retire in your 40s? But yeah. Go for it, baby. Yeah. They are still subject to trends and tastes in music. And I think they were trying to fit in on this one a little bit to the to what was going on. And I think it was just, I don't want to say it was a swing and a miss, but it was kind of like a foul ball. That's a good way to put it, yeah. You know, just, eh. You know, they're trying some stuff to see what sticks to the wall. and Right, right. Some of it does, some of it doesn't. And, and as an right. artist, you got to take chances. Metallica lost some hardcore fans because the Black Album was not And Justice for All 2. Right. But they picked up millions and millions more because it was different. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our review of Iron Maiden's 1992 Fear of the Dark. Maybe not the best in their catalog. Kind of a tough time for the band with Bruce's impending departure. They're trying some stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily in their wheelhouse just to see if it would help them land some more fans or get some more time on MTV. Maybe some better listenership in America. Who knows? It just didn't work out. It just seems like maybe the band was at the end of the rope. However, they create this epic song, Fear of the Dark, which is a classic for them, one that has become uber popular with their fan base and one that's been a pretty big staple of their stage show for certainly the last 20 years or so, maybe longer. We appreciate you hanging out with us and listen to our back-to-back shows on Iron Maiden. And we appreciate you listening. Hope you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, where it's good pods, which is a great place to interact with your independent podcast host or Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, wherever you like to get your podcast, please subscribe. And if you give us a nice review, hey, let us know. We might just read it on the show. Now, next week, we're really excited. We have an author who wrote a novel called Searching for Jimmy Page about a young girl's journey to understand herself better and grow into maturity and possibly track down the elusive guitar god written by Christy Alexander Hallberg. She's going to talk to us about the book and talk to us a little bit about Outrider, Jimmy Page's 1988 solo effort, which was a standout for her and inspiration, part of why she read the book. So that's next week. But until then, for all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 